I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. Our country has suffered another tragedy of an active shooter event. Again, a school was targeted. Children and staff members have died. The killer is also dead. So we lost six innocents and one guilty criminal. The criminal was dispatched at the hands of two hero police officers, Rex Engelbert and Mike Colazzo. Two amazing young men. Now, I got to say, they are individually amazing young men. I watched the video, the body cam video of these two officers running towards danger, potentially dying at any moment as they went down the hallway of the convent school or covenant school. And while they are unique in this particular instance, they are like all the other members of law enforcement and our first responders. They run towards danger when everyone else is running away. They disregard self when others are in danger. They moved forward. No doubt they were scared. Anyone that tells you when they're running into gunfire they're not scared is lying to you. The difference is for our law enforcement community that respond to these dangerous situations. Fear is part of what happens. How you control that fear is what makes you extraordinary. And these two young men, specifically, and all the other officers I saw on that video, are absolutely amazing. In the last couple of examples we've had of shooting events in schools, we saw the police not perform to their best. We saw that in Uvalde. We saw that in Parkland. But in this particular instance, the officers performed heroically. They did exactly what they were trained to do and what they were supposed to do. Their honor, their oaths, and their dedication were all on complete display for everyone to see. If you haven't seen the body cam footage, you should go look it up. Go to YouTube and look up Active Shooter, Nashville, School. And there you will see two versions of the same event, one from Officer Colazzo's body cam and the other from Officer Engelbart's body cam. As someone who teaches law enforcement officers how to do this, how to respond to this, as an active duty lieutenant, I had to teach my officers how to respond to this horrific activity. And it's not easy. You know, in an instance, when you have time to prepare, you have time to put together your thoughts when you respond, that's one thing. But in that moment, that's where your character and your training come together.
and you act as you truly are. I've been in situations where you're going after someone with a gun and it is scary, but you press forward because that's your duty and that's what society needs you to do and that's why you took the oath. So I'm very proud of those officers, all of them. They performed beautifully. I could see where their chief uh, is very happy with their performance. I could see where the people of Nashville should be very, very proud of that police department. There are lots of lessons in all of the video that we're seeing coming out of here. Now, I talk about this all the time, and if you can hear in my voice frustration, I am frustrated because I have been screaming out the window for the last 15 years for schools, businesses, religious facilities, everybody to do something. And unfortunately, not everyone does. We need to be prepared. We need to learn from the lessons of the past. If we don't, all we're doing is repeating the exact same lesson time and time and time again. These officers in Nashville, Colazzo and Engelbert, we should interview them. We should find out what exactly went on through their mind. Why did they press forward? What makes the difference between them and the officer in Parkland who did not press forward? What makes the difference? Well, I get frustrated because I, I do threat assessments for schools and businesses all over the place. And when I get someone who's interested, it's normal because there may have been an incident in their facility or there could have been a threat and they decide, hey, we better do something now. But the large majority of everywhere, all across the country, does nothing. Because you know what? Nothing happened. So they say the most dangerous thing anyone can ever say. It will never happen here. Well, I know in Parkland, they didn't expect it to happen there, but it did. In Sandy Hook, they didn't expect it to happen there, but it did. And now in Nashville, they didn't expect it to happen there, but it did. So the first lesson we should all take away from this, each and every person out there listening should take away from this, is that every place in America is vulnerable. Any place people gather is vulnerable to somebody who has hatred and evil in their heart. And they want to do damage to people. You know, a lot of this is going to be turned into the, the gun control argument yet again. And I see, I can see the logic of people don't really understand. If we just got rid of all these guns, this would never happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, in countries where they don't have access to guns like they do here in America, they have many horrific events as well. Only in those, they use bombs or they use knives. In America, yes, a lot of guns are used. And it is wholly terrible in every single incident. But when I look at this and I say, and I'm trying to balance this line here, using it as a comparison is not, is not fun. But the reality is people with weapons 
save their lives many, many more times than people who use them for evil to take lives. What we have to do is secure our locations better. We have to learn the lessons from these events. We have to stop saying it'll never happen here. Now, reality, I can tell you, it probably never will happen to you. It probably never will. That's the truth. But I ask this question all the time, and I've talked about this on a previous episode. When I go out and I speak to the public or schools or businesses or anyone, I say, could somebody please raise your hand and tell me when and where the next active shooter incident will take place? No one has ever raised their hand. Because we just don't know, do we? They didn't know yesterday morning when they were opening that school that a demon was on the way. But it was. And it attacked. Now, where's the next one going to happen? Two weeks ago, we had one in Denver. They're going to continue to happen because people have evil in their heart. They have mental illness that is not addressed. We worry about so much nonsense in this country. Instead of looking at what's real, this is a microcosm of what's wrong today. So the lessons learned here. Now, I tell people all the time when I do these assessments, you have to have good policy and procedure and you have to practice what you expect people to do. And I hear lots of different things from people. I was just at a school district recently doing a threat assessment, and they told me they would never practice doing real lockdowns with the children in the building because it would be traumatizing for the children. There's a lot of people in my business that have that same belief, that actual lockdown drills are so scary and traumatizing that we shouldn't do them. We should do them when there's nobody in the building, and we should just teach the children to follow directions. Yes, it's traumatizing. It's scary. But not if we message it correctly. If we tell the parents, if we tell the kids that the reason we do this is for their safety, we then empower people. If the parents take that messaging to their children and say, listen, don't panic during a lockdown drill. Probably nothing's ever going to happen to you. The reason we practice is the same reason we wear a seatbelt. We don't plan on getting to an accident, but it can happen at any time. And we want to be prepared. So when they do lockdown drills in your school, pay attention. Don't fool around. Take it serious. Learn what you would do. Because you may be saving your own life. Now, I I hear different things in different places. Other places tell me, absolutely, we do lockdown. We're only supposed to do four, but we do ten. I say, how come you do 10? We want to be ready. It can be scary. This is a scary thought. You know, when I deal with school people, these are people who love these children, who want to do the right thing, who want to help children grow and learn and be all they can be. And now they have to worry about children getting shot dead, babies being shot dead in their school. It is horrific. When we look for the lessons learned, when we watch the video, go and watch this video and see all the things that I'm going to talk about here, because I'm still processing it. The video is still coming out. I'm still looking for more. We can look at things and lessons learned can be 
this was terrible and what failed, we should also look for what worked. We should also look where the grace of God was and how it could have been worse. And that's a terrible thing, thing to say, especially to the six innocent families who have been victimized here. But the reality is, watching that video, there's some obvious things that I saw in the video that maybe the killer didn't see, and this could have been much, much worse. When you see the video of the shooter showing up at the school, driving in the, the vehicle, as the vehicle turns a corner to go to a parking spot, in the top right-hand corner of the video, you can see a playground with little children on swings, jungle gyms, jumping all around, having fun. And there was a path that led right to them. They were probably 30 yards off the street where the car with the killer and the guns went past. Now, I don't know if the killer didn't see it. The angle of the camera was a little bit higher on the building, so it looks like it could see down the path and see all these kids on the swings and whatnot. There was nobody standing at the end of that path watching for danger. So I call this watching for approaching danger. You have to be able to see the danger coming at you so that you can react fast enough. The saying we all need to understand and live by is to understand is that time equals life. The more time you have to see the danger approaching you, then the more time you have to react, to lock down, to hide, to flee. If you're not in a position to see it coming and the killer parks the car, turns up the path and walks right onto the field where all the little children are playing and nobody saw him coming, everyone is just standing there, playing there, and they are easy targets. So one of the things I look at when I go to these schools is I watch recess and gym outside and different events. I watch morning arrival and afternoon dismissal and I say, how come all your staff is standing here talking to each other instead of spreading out across the front of this area so you can see approaching danger? Everyone should have a radio. Everyone should have a vest on, a brightly colored vest. Why is that? Let's take another lesson from this event in Nashville. There's some information that the killer went to another school first, but looked like there was more security there, looked like there was more going on, so he went somewhere else. Does this happen? There's information that in Sandy Hook, the killer went to a middle school first, but there was a police car out front. So he went right past it and went to the elementary school. So visual deterrence can work. At a school district I was just in, in New England, they have an SRO, a school resource officer, assigned to the middle school and to the high school. And eventually, they're going to have them assigned to all of the schools in the district. At the middle school and the high school, the school resource officer, when they arrive, they park their marked police car right in front of the school. That is a visual deterrent. That tells everybody who comes to that school that there's at least one officer or maybe more than one officer on the premises. If you're coming in to do harm, then you're probably going to meet resistance. And the idea is then that that person moves on to the next place and that next place has to be prepared. The next thing I see is that in lots of places I go to, I ask, do you lock the doors? Now I have to say, doesn't that sound ridiculous in this day and age? Do you lock the doors? 
And a lot of places tell me they do not. Because their parents want to feel that they can come in. It's not a prison. They should be able to come and go when they please. And I get it. Schools should be loving, welcoming, wonderful places for children to learn and to grow. But we can't disregard the realities of life. When people want to do something horrible and they want to make a statement, they try and think of how can I make the biggest statement and what is a bigger statement than going somewhere and killing innocent little children. That's a sick thing to do. But they do it for just that reason. So that's why they attack the school. Sometimes they have other problems and they attack the school. Sometimes they have hatreds and they're going back there to attack the school. What happened here in Nashville? We don't know. The motive's not out yet. The killer apparently had a manifesto. The killer had notes. The killer had maps. The killer did all kinds of things to prepare for this day of carnage. Did anybody know anything about this? Were there posts on social media? Did the, did, the, did the killer tell anyone? Their thoughts, did they express themselves on the social media? Did they write things? Did they draw things? Did they make comments to people? I guess that'll all come out in the investigation, but these people who do this don't normally just wake up on a Tuesday and say, hey, I think I'll go kill a bunch of people. It's usually a buildup. It's a buildup of thoughts, actions, activities, words, feelings, and then it explodes in violence. Can we see it coming? Well, many times we can. That is why you prepare your school district and your workplace and every place else that people gather. You train a team of people to assess potential danger. I call it a human threat assessment team. I go to schools and I teach them how to listen to what people say. Look at the writings and the drawings and the social media posts and the rumors and all these other things that we get little pieces of information. Now, properly trained people, the human threat assessment team, has got to get together and take that information and make a determination. Is this a potential threat? Is this someone who's just upset? Is this someone who needs counseling? Or do we need the police here immediately? Right? Schools have to do this. Businesses have to do this. Churches have to do this. Everyone has to do this. But we don't. And how come we don't? Because it'll never happen here. We don't have the money for it. We don't have the time to do that. It's too complicated. Why, if I have somebody come in and train us and do a threat assessment on our building, then we have to do all the things they say. We don't have the time or the money for that. These are some of the things I hear when I'm out there in the field. Now, to all of my clients, I want to say thank you. Thank you for having the faith in yourself to do something, for having the thoughts that says, hey, it might be costly, it might be expensive, it might be hard, it might be difficult. We have to do something to secure our location. So the lessons learned here we have to make sure we can see approaching danger on the playground, on the sports field, at arrival and dismissal. 
We have to have visual deterrence. I tell everyone, every every school personnel who's outside in the morning, in the afternoon, or anytime they're outside with students, should have a vest on and a radio. So when somebody driving by looks, they don't know, is that a cop? Is that a security person? Who is it? They look, I don't know, they have a vest on and they got a radio. They look official. Maybe I'll take my carnage and hatred and go somewhere else. And that's one of the deterrents we can use. Next, we have to have good, real practice. It doesn't help anyone to ignore practicing. You have to practice where you would go, where you would lock down. Do you have safe places to lock down? Can you safely lock down? Do the locks on your doors work? We know in Uvalde, the big concern was when the police were at the door of the classroom where the killer was in three minutes. But they didn't go in because they assumed that the doors were locked because other doors were locked and they couldn't get in. And they waited 76 minutes till they could get into the classroom where the killer was. What they found out later was that the door to that classroom had been broken, had been reported several times, and the lock had never been fixed. All they had to do was turn the knob and step into the room. And I believe those Uvalde officers would have done the right thing at that moment had they not been called out of there by the chief to get all this other equipment that he thought he needed. We learn our lessons from these things. So make sure your equipment is all in good working order. Do a survey of your doors, windows, and locks. Make sure they're in good working order. Do real drills of value. You don't have to scare everybody. But tell everybody, Tuesday, we're going to do a lockdown. Not going to tell you what time on Tuesday, but Tuesday is going to be a lockdown. And everyone take it serious. I go through when we do these lockdowns and I bring a camera and I video record what people do. I have seen people continue to teach because it's a waste of time. This is stupid. I actually have them on video saying things like that. How many times are we going to do this? And keep on teaching. There should be safety corners in every room. Your windows and your classroom doors should be covered so that no one can see in, because in the historical record, we see that people that can't see into the room and the doors locked, they move on because they know who's coming. Once they announce themselves with violence, they know who's coming. Officer Cazola, Officer Calaza, sorry, and Officer Engelbert, that's who's coming. So they want to do their damage as fast as they can. Lock the doors from inside. Check your locks. Do you have to go in the hallway and put a key in a lock? You're not going to do that during an emergency like this. So have a thumb brake lock inside the classroom. So the teacher or student simply turns the thumb brake and the door is locked. Cover the window. Get into a safety corner. Figure out where in the room you can stand so that somebody at the door, if they had a clear view, couldn't see you. And put a marking on the ceiling where it won't get washed off the floor or vacuumed away or tripped on. So everybody knows. Lock the door. Cover the window. Get behind the line. Then you have a chance at survival. You have to go fast. Time equals life. So we can learn that from this instance. Approaching danger, visual cues, the right equipment, police officers on scene. The other thing we saw was how the killer made entry. So apparently she pulled up, she walked up to the door, found that it was locked, and fired through the glass, and the glass dropped instantly. This is exactly what happened at... Sandy Hook. The killer walked up, the door was locked, and he shot through the glass and the glass dropped immediately. 
Locked doors are only as good as the glass that's in them. So what can you do about that glass? Well, you could put bulletproof glass in there. I hear people saying that. Put bulletproof glass in. Well, a three by five piece of bulletproof glass is extraordinarily expensive. Now, I don't say we, we work on safety and security based on the cost, but the cost is a reality. When I come out of a district and I've done five or six or seven of their schools and I give them a list of everything that they should upgrade to, it could be hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. Districts may not have millions of dollars. Now, I don't want to get into the argument of how many billions we're sending to Ukraine that we could send 10 billion to our schools and get these all tightened up. But that's another conversation for another day. But the reality is that glass just drops. So there's material that you can put on these doors and windows that are less than bulletproof glass. Now, can you shoot through them? Yes, you can. You can shoot through this material. But what's the value of the material? Well, it's affixed to the glass with a caulking. It's crystal clear. You can't even tell it's there. And while you can shoot through it, it takes a, a very large person like myself with a 20-pound sledge. It might take two to three minutes to knock the glass out of that window. Two to three minutes. Somebody bashing the glass, you know something's happening. You can lock down. You can flee. You can call for help. You can respond. Right? It's relatively inexpensive. Why everyone doesn't do this, I don't know. So we saw that in this school. And when I bring up these things, I'm not faulting that school because they're like a lot of other schools. They did some things. They had a lockdown system. You can hear it in the video. The lights are flashing. Most of the kids, I don't see the kids. So they must be locked down somewhere. They did the right things in some instances. But the glass, if they had glazed the glass with this security film, the killer could have shot through it but it would have taken several minutes to get through the glass. In that time, they could have locked down better. They could have gotten everyone to a place of safety because the way it was, just shot through the glass and the glass dropped and she was in a school firing at people. So you hear frustration in my voice. It's because I've been writing about this, doing presentations about this, talking about this, asking everyone to please take a look do what's needed to be done everywhere at our schools, our businesses, our religious facilities, our summer camps, any place people gather together. You have to have an emergency operation plan. You have to do drills of value. You have to consider the dangers. You have to do what you can to mitigate them. doesn't mean you can save everybody, but we could save a lot more. And then we have to work on the mental health side of things in this country. We need human threat assessment teams that are trained to look at a threat and then make important decisions about what to do next, how to react, what do we do to safeguard our schools, our businesses, our churches, our camps, our facilities, our movie theaters, every place people gather. So I'm going to say great job, Officer Rex Engelbert and Mike Colazzo and all the other officers of Nashville. I'm going to send my condolences to the family of the three innocent little babies and the three school staff members who died. And I'm also going to say, pay attention, because the next evil killer is out there. We can do something about it. And it's not just taking away everybody's guns. This is Lieutenant Joe. I'll be back in a minute with more. 
If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com. Seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, we're back. I appreciate everybody being here. This is a, a tough time for everybody. This topic's coming up again and again and again, and we still have months left to the school year, don't we? You can feel the tension that everybody is, is on edge. I'm sure my phone's going to ring now. I'm sure my phone's going to ring now. Some people are going to wake up and say, wow, who was that guy we heard at that place? Who was that guy that wrote that article? Who was that guy that's begging us to do something about our safety and security? Maybe he can help. Well, I can, and this is not a pitch for work. This is saying there's people out there that can help you. Reach out. Come up with a plan. Do something. So if we look at lessons learned, what other lessons do we see? What other lessons can we learn from here? Let's look at the officer's response. When I watched uh, the two officers going through that building with the other officers... There's two different uh, body cams, so you watch two different ways they were doing it. The two officers were very, very close in how they were doing things. They seemed to have skills, leadership. The team seemed to work together well. Seems to me they practiced. They had some idea of what to do. I did see instances where they were calling out. They were calling for a long rifle, an LBR. Get a long barrel rifle up here because it's more effective when you're shooting at somebody than a handgun, it's much more accurate 
once you get past 10 or 12 feet. I watched how these officers moved through those hallways. And unfortunately, I've had some non-police people already comment to me, well, it looked like uh, they were shoving people to go forward. They, did, they weren't sure where they were going. They weren't running that fast. They, I assure you, they were under combat conditions. They went past victims. They're blurred out of the video, but you know that's a little child laying on the floor. That is psychologically damaging to see that. That will slow you down. That is brutality. And these officers moved forward. The officers' voices that you can hear, they were directing and guiding their other officers. And those other officers responded. There's a moment of confusion when you're going down that hallway and there's three or four people there. And the officer's saying, move forward, move forward, blue, move forward. He's talking to the officer with the blue shirt. Do you think the officer with the blue shirt is, is, is seeing his shirt is blue and thinks he means him? We're trying to figure out who should go. When are we going to go? What do we want in there? Well, the directing officer gave him a shove. You, you're blue, go. Right? But they all went forward. That's the key. That was an excellent response. Could it have been better to all the naysayers? Sure, it could have been better. Let me tell you what. Let me give you a gun and stick you in a combat zone and get you in there, moving towards fire instead of running the other way. And you tell me how much better you can do it. I've seen a lot of responses. And I thought that to be an excellent response. I thought they did a very good job and it'll be used in training going forward. People are going to watch a real event. And I can tell you that the real events do look a lot like the training if you do it right. Right? They look a lot like the training if you do it correctly. So we have to better secure our facilities. We have to create teams to help us understand what the threats are. And then as a society, we have to decide what do we do about these threats? Now, we have these red flag laws in lots of places. So if you're not familiar with the red flag laws in lots of states, what they are is when somebody is reported to be a threat, we can go there and take all their weapons and secure them and find out if they're dangerous or not. And on its face value, that sounds like a, a great idea. Someone makes a threat. Lieutenant Joe, aren't you just telling us to have a human threat assessment team? This person has made threats. They've said things. They've drawn things. Now we find out they've got guns. We should get their guns away from them. And that part of it is all understandable. Yeah, sure. If you have a real threat like that and you know if people have weapons and you can intervene before they hurt themselves or others, yeah, yeah. The problem is it will be abused. Plain and simple. They will abuse it. You see right now, and I hate to bring any kind of politics into this, but I wasn't the one who did it. I think our White House and our president did it instantaneously before the school was even empty. They came out and started talking about, well, that's why we have to take away all these guns, get rid of all these guns from people. That's not the answer. It's not the answer. Because you're never going to take away the evil from someone's heart. In countries, like I said, where they don't have access to guns, they use knives. They use bombs. They do other things. Because evil is amongst us. So we have to look at these things and say, what can we do better? We can train better. We can practice. We can do lockdown drills. We can do real practice, right? We can invite our local police in to look at our school, walk around. Don't be afraid of the police. Can you believe I come across districts out there that tell me we don't want the cops in the building because they bring guns with them? 
Well, we don't think we have any instances at all of an officer in uniform or detective pulling out their gun and killing innocent people in a school because they just had to bring the gun in with them. That doesn't happen. The reality here, the reality, we all need to understand, no matter how you feel about guns, you love them, you hate them, whatever, the reality here is the only thing that stops a bad guy or bad girl with a gun is a good guy or a good girl with a gun. That's the reality, plain and simple. And this is where we've lost our way. We've lost common sense in this country. We can't think straight anymore. Our heads are filled with so much nonsense that we've lost track of reality and common sense. So when it comes to these instances, invite the cops into your schools. Make sure they walk the halls. Make sure they know the building. Make sure they know the locations. Make sure they have keys to get around. Oh, we don't want the cops to have the keys. They'll come in here and look at our kids and try and arrest them for something. That is asinine. The police need to be able to get in quick. Watch the video. They got to the door on the floor where the killer was and they couldn't get in because they didn't have a key for the door. They had to go back down and go around. Right? Is there technology that can help us? Yes, there is. There's technology that can help us. There's gunshot detection that sends out messages. The Halo product. I'm going to tell you its name. It's amazing. I watched people build it. It, it's, a, it's a vape detector, but it also has gunshot detection and aggression detection. And when it hears these things, it can send hundreds, if not thousands of text mails, text messages and emails to people saying, I just heard gunshots in hallway three. The police get that message and they start on their way. Time equals life. You get it? This is what we need to understand. We can't be afraid of having our police officers in our schools. Well, we don't like the police. The police hate people. Police don't hate anybody. The police need access to our schools. They need to see the children need to be involved, right? They need to be there. I get very upset about this because that's the only thing that we saw work yesterday or there'd been many, many more dead children in that school if it was not for those officers that went in there bravely, bravely, selflessly, could have lost their lives at any moment. If they turned the corner, the killer already killed. He had no problem killing more. Was shooting out of the window down at the cars. Had no problem killing more. Killing a couple of cops more, uh, no big deal. But they went ahead. They did it. They ran forward. They are the epitome of what we say about law enforcement. Cops run towards danger when everybody else runs away. You should be very, very grateful for the cops in your town. Even if they gave you tickets. Even if they arrested your brother-in-law for being a drunken idiot. That's right. You should be grateful that men and women will don the uniform, wear the gun, and patrol the streets. Because these are the moments when we need these people. So let's keep that in mind, shall we? Now, lessons learned. Approaching danger, putting people in the right place, making sure there's enough radios, communication. You know how many districts I go to and they tell me, we have PAs, but they don't work. So somebody outside the building can't hear the call to lockdown. Some classrooms can't hear it. You know how many people tell me, we got phones, but we're not sure exactly how they work. Can you call the outside world with that phone? I don't know. I don't think we can. Here's a question I ask everybody. Who's allowed to call a lockdown in your facility? And you know the answers I get? Some administrators will tell me, oh, I tell everyone can call a lockdown. If you see danger, put the building in lockdown. I see other administrators tell me, oh, no, I wouldn't want them doing that. Uh, That's up to me to do. Well, what if you're like the principal of Sandy Hook 
and you came out to see what was going on and you were killed immediately. Or the head of school who died recently in Nashville. Who's going to take over for you? Do you practice that? Do you let your second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, and ninth in command? Do you let them run the drill? Do you let them practice being in charge? Are they ready to assume that responsibility for all those children and people in those buildings? If you're not there, if you're shot in the face and dead and out of the picture, who's going to call then? See, this is not pretty stuff to talk about. This is not fun stuff to talk about. This is life and death. And we can't fool around about this stuff. We have to be serious about it. So that's what I recommend to everybody. Do a drill. Tell the, pre the principal to leave and go to, go to town hall for a cup of coffee and then do a lockdown drill and see how your second and third and fourth in command, how they handle it. Because they might be the ones who have to do it when you're out of the building for some reason. Practice lockdown so the kids know where to go. Practice lockdown so the children know how to lock themselves in. Make sure your phones work. You know, another thing I see... Not only did I not know who's allowed to call a lockdown, but it's all different. Oh, I can. No, I can't. She can. He can. I can't. This one can. I don't know. That one can do. There's no, there's no uniformity across these districts of who does what. Every school does it a different way in a district. There should be uniformity across the district. Every single school should do it the same. Children should not have to learn a different process in every building they go to throughout their school career. Uniformity of response. We should practice like we expect them to go, right? So I see these phones and they say, well, we do have an intercom that can open up and we can tell everyone we see danger. So I always picture a teacher on the second floor looking out the window and seeing a killer like the killer that showed up yesterday with rifles walking towards the building. What is that teacher to do? Well, if that teacher could open up the intercom throughout the whole school and say, lockdown, 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 and the school immediately goes into lockdown before the killer even gets to the door. You're in a better position. If the PA on the field works where those kids were out there swinging and they could hear, lockdown, lockdown, that staff needs to know now, let's get these children and get out of here. Do we have rally points that we go to? Do we have places where we, we know where to go? Do we have radios? We could tell everybody where we are. When they go to open the PA, is it some ridiculous code like star 674, wait a second for a buzz, then star 677? It should be very simple. Star zero, star one, it opens the PA and you can talk. Your phones, can you get the outside world? Can you dial 911 and call and talk to a dispatcher? Do you have electronics in your building that can help you? Right? Do you have things in your building that can help you? There's lots of different systems. You can push a button and it sends an automated message to the police that there's a danger. There are apps that people put on phones. When you hit the button, boom, off it goes. And it tells the cops driving by on their way to lunch that the school's in lockdown and they can pull in immediately. Time equals life, right? I told you the Halo product is amazing. You should look into it, right? The other thing, brand new, brand new, called Century ERS. Century ERS. And this is a like a cell phone built into a wall unit. In an emergency, you push the button and the phone drops out into your hand. It turns on a camera to start recording what's happening and it dials the police and security. It has a GPS in it. So if you then have to take off, you can be given information to the dispatcher. They can follow your whereabouts. They can see where danger is. It helps the approaching officers. The responding officers are coming now know where there's danger. Century ERS, great piece of equipment. There's a company called 911 Inform. 
They have a mapping system that the dispatcher can see the danger and open and close doors in the school by looking at the map. The cops are showing up, open the back door. Wouldn't that have been nice as those officers reached the second floor where the killer was, that a dispatcher could have unlocked that door because she knew or he knew where, where they were? That would have been great. That would have been great. That would have saved some time. Time equals what? Time equals life. There's lots of things out there that can help us. There's lots of things out there that can help us. So we have to look into it. And as a community, we have to say, how safe do we want to make our school? We should lock our doors, cover our windows with safety glazing, right? Sometimes replace some glass. You know, I was just in a, in a district not too long ago, absolutely beautiful, brand new schools, brand new, beautiful schools, state-of-the-art technology, wonderful. None of the glass in their vestibules was, was covered in anything, could have shot right through it and stepped right in, even though it was beautiful. No places to hide, right, because you could see right into the building. You can't put uh, covers on windows that big. The purpose of having the windows was because it lets sunlight in. You use less electricity. has a good idea, but it's not a safety concern, right? If you're going to build a building or you're going to build a school or another workplace, before you do anything, have your architect sit down with the security expert and help you plan out the building. So you build these things into your building when you're constructing it. You don't have to do it later on and retrofit at the cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. We have to make security in our public places a part of what we do all the time. All right, so I'm trying to give out some lessons here for everyone listening. And if you missed the show or you want to tell a friend about the show, tell them to go back and listen to the, uh, to the podcast of the show. And they can hear all these little tips I have. I have a book on Amazon, right? It's called Securing Your School by Joe Pangaro. It, I think it's uh, $3. It's got all these tips and a lot more things in there. Go buy one for somebody that works in a school. Go buy it for your school board, right? It's a couple of bucks. And it's got all these things written down. Tell them to listen to the podcast. Because I'm telling you, I've been doing this for a long time. There are simple, inexpensive things we can do immediately to make our school safer. For the bigger projects, we have to budget them. You have to plan. We need to have cameras and swipe cards at all these different doors. That costs a lot of money. So you have to budget that. But you know what? Start at your entrances of your school. Glaze that glass. Then work on the whole first floor. Make sure that's glazed. Have swipe cards at the entrances. Have one point of entry to the school and one exit. Have a vestibule that has double swipes. When you swipe in one, then you got to wait, swipe in the other one. That buys you time, right? So if somebody breaks through the first glass, even if you have glazing on it, takes them two minutes. Now they're in the vestibule. They got to break through another one. Takes another two minutes. You've got now got four minutes on your side. In that school yesterday, they didn't have four minutes. That killer was in there instantaneously. A couple of shots at the glass and down it goes. And in she went and began the killing, right? So we can do these kind of things. Uh, have the police come to your place, know your place. How stupid it would be to call the police and say there's a killer in the science wing, but none of the cops have been in your high school. They don't know where the science wing is. Every door inside and outside your buildings, workplace, anywhere, should be labeled, right? So that when you say, door number five is where the killer is, the cops approaching the school or the business or the church 
can go to door number five and engage quickly. The sides of your buildings should all be uh, labeled as well. The A side is what you're looking at from the street. The B side is everything on the left. The C side's in the back and the D side is to the right. Now you can say door D17. And all first responders know to look for the D side of the building and end door 17. And they'll get them there quicker. Time equals life. Inside the school, all the classrooms and doors and offices and everything else should be labeled. So you can say, once you're in the building, uh, you're looking for room A327. And you can follow the signs. The hallways should be labeled. The hallways should be labeled. I don't care what you call them. Happiness hallway, sunshine hallway, and big letters in the hallways at the intersections. So when you're telling first responders, they can go to happiness hallway. And as they're running down the thing, they see a little sign that says happiness hallway this way. I've seen schools be really smart and they put down colored tape on the floors, right? And when they're trying to get somebody somewhere, they tell them when you go in, follow the yellow tape, right? Follow the yellow brick road, follow the green tape. It'll take you to the library. Follow the blue tape. It'll take you to the gym. Things that speed up for convenience also can speed up first responders getting in there. You should allow your first responders to practice in your school. Not necessarily when people are there, but they should do real drills. The cops should do real drills. I, I use airsoft equipment. Airsoft equipment is excellent for training. Now, there's a lot of people that say, well, it's uh, plastic pellets and, uh, you know, you're better off with this. Another thing called simunitions. Simunitions is very good. It's like a real bullet. It goes in a real gun. Uh, you got to buy a new slide for your handgun. About 600 bucks a piece, and the bullets are $1 to $2 each. But, man, they sting and hurt. They can break bones. That's like really getting shot at. That's real training. But not everyone can afford $600 slides for their guns and $2 a bullet. You don't practice very much when that happens. So what do we do? Get airsoft equipment. Airsoft equipment is inexpensive. You can get a lot of equipment for a little bit of money. People can train and practice every single day. It's an option. You should look at it. KWA is a company that makes great stuff. I'm going to be doing work with them, so I'm telling you their name, KWA Airsoft. It's great for law enforcement. The inside of the school, the windows have to be covered in the classroom hallways and the side glass so that you can protect yourself so people can't see in there and they move on. We have, we have examples, very clear examples in uh, the historical record that as the killer goes down the hallway, if the door is locked and they can't see in the room, they will move on. There's very few examples of shooting into a room except for Parkland when the cover on the window was partially moved and the killer could see the children and shot in and killed some children. Other than that, your windows are covered. You're locked down. You're in a safety corner, right? These are all tips. Now, another thing I hear is we should, we should flee. That should be our first thing. Flee, run out of the school. If the killer's in the school, we should be out of the school. I hear this a lot. There's a specific kind of training out there in the world that people talk about. That they say, that's what they tell you. Your first move is to run, right? To get out, to get away. And they ask Lieutenant Joe, is that really the best? The answer is this. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Do you know where the killer is? Is there more than one killer? Do you have a safe way to get out? Does everybody go the same way at the same time and people are in the hallway now exposed to the killer? If you can flee, 
that might be the thing to do. So what I call this is multi-optional responses. We have to train people to have multi-optional responses to danger. We can't lock them in to just one thing. You'll lock down. You'll flee. That's it. You have to tell them, if you can flee and you think you can get out safely and get away safely, then do that. If that's your decision on the scene. If you can't and you think locking down is a better idea, lock down, lock the door, cover the window, get in a safety space. That might be your best bet. We have to understand that this training has to be realistic, even though it's scary. We can become empowered to these kind of things. Instead of being scared to death, we empower people. I did drills where we used role players that came in screaming and hollering and scared people. And we did the same drill again the next year. And the next year they said, you know, last year I couldn't function. I was so scared. But this year I feel empowered. I think I could survive. That's what you want to hear from your staff from your employees, from your people in your school. I talk to students when I do these assessments, age appropriate, of course, but I talk to them and say, how do they take security around here? Do they take it seriously? Do they do the right thing? And in some places I've heard, yeah, they take it very serious. We practice all the time. We know what to do. We know where to go. And I talk to other places and I go, well, no, they don't really talk too much about it, but I, I, th I think we're supposed to decide as a class what we do should we run or should we hide or i don't you know i'm not really sure the teacher would tell us well that's not very clear to anyone messaging is very very has to be very very clear to everyone what do we expect people to do how do we expect them to respond where do we want them to go right so here today we've had we've had a little tutorial on some things that can make our our facilities our schools our businesses our churches our theaters every place people gather can make it safer for everyone the key is, number one, we have to stop saying, it'll never happen here. Number two, we have to be afraid to see what the options are. Number three, we have to prepare. You're going to have to spend some money on equipment and training and other things to do. You're going to have to make the time to do these things. Because the reality is, the next incident that we all dread is right down the road. It's in the next day, the next month, the next minute. But no matter what we do about it, it's coming. We have to work on mental health. Get your schools trained on human threat assessment response. Train people in your business to respond properly, to know what a threat is and practice what they're going to do about it. All right? So I hope, hope this was helpful. And like I said, if, if you, you want to tell somebody about it, tell them to listen to the podcast and they can get these things. Go get the book, Securing Your School, Joe Pangaro. It's on Amazon. And as we look forward now, there's going to be a lot of conversations about what happened. There's going to be a lot of arguments about guns and taking away guns and keeping citizens from having guns and taking away from law-abiding people. In the meantime, we have to look at who does these things and why. This story hasn't finished yet. We're going to find out in the coming days and weeks all about this killer. What was the motivations? What was the manifesto about? When somebody writes a manifesto, it's because they have a lot of feelings involved. Could we have seen those feelings? Could we have heard them? Could someone have intervened before this person destroyed six innocent lives and their own? Do we have support for our law enforcement out there, for the brave men and women who go out and do the work that we need them to do? Do we support them? Do we make sure they have the funding to practice what they need to practice and prepare, have the equipment? 
right? We look at uh, Mike Colazzo and, and uh, Rex Engelbert, and we say those are two great examples of law enforcement heroes. But in reality, I'm telling you, every cop you see in your town, every single one, every man and woman, is a hero just like them. Some have been tried, some have not. Some have been tested by things they have to go to, some have not. But for every one of them could come that day, could come that moment that they have to protect you or your family or your child's school. You want them to be the best that they can possibly be, the best trained with the best equipment. They want to have the support of the community so that we work together. Right? We have to do good practice together. We have to work together and think about this. Because I don't want to have to do another show here about this. This is not the first time I've had to do this. And I'm sure I'm going to have to do it again. And that's the sad part. So go to your school boards. Ask them, what have they done? Have you done an assessment? Have you trained people? Do we practice? What messaging can we give our children about locking down and practicing and being ready? These are all the things that lay ahead of us, ladies and gentlemen. And I want to think about those little victims for a minute. And I hope that God takes them into his hands and grants them all the peace that they deserve and watch over their families, the adults and the kids, and give them some kind of solace to know that the whole nation mourns with them and prays for them. So this is Lieutenant Joe signing off for this particular episode. Let's hope for better days ahead. And remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.